Welcome to Genius Leadership Overcoming Everything podcast. I'm your host, Anna Liebel, a mind shifter, helping male leaders in tech get out of the firefighter mode, become the proactive leaders they want to be, and enjoy the ride as they go. Join me every week for honest, insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders about their rollercoaster ride to leading from their zone of genius. If you find the show valuable, could you do me a favor? Rate and review the podcast. Share it with your network so that more of us can live a healthier and happier life. And for now, let's take the ride together. Hey, Genius Leader. Welcome to the next episode of the Genius Leadership Podcast. Today, you will hear my conversation with Mike Klein, the principle of changing the terms. Mike is an internal and social communication consultant with an interest in developing the field of communication leadership through his We Lead Comms initiative. He is Iceland-based and has experience from various European countries and the US. With Mike, we're talking about the, the passion topic of his communication leadership. And of course, we start the conversation with the definition because he's saying that people are using the leadership communication and communication leadership as synonymous terms, which is not the truth. And Mike is explaining the difference in a very good way. Before that, we actually talk about the sustainable business performance, the question that I asked my guests in the beginning. And I like how he is pointing out that sustainable leadership and sustainable performance require awareness of what's happening both inside and outside of your organization. And I really loved his comparison when I pointed out that not often do we talk about the outside of our organization environment on the show. He said, that's like being a nurturing parent who is letting the kid play in the traffic. You are focusing on nurturing your kid, but you still need to be aware in which environment the kid is playing. So I really like that comparison and I want to throw it out there so that you put, like, pay attention to that part of the conversation and think about it. You as a leader, where are you paying most attention to and or at? And um, where, which balls you might be dropping while juggling a lot? How is your understanding of your environment within the organization? And that's what people like Mike are helping with. But also outside of organization, what's going on there? And how is it affecting you? And how can you affect that and influence that? We're also talking about the problem with leadership that quite often people come into leadership by climbing this ladder and those traditional career paths that we have in organizations. When the best engineer becomes a manager, because... How else can we actually keep him growing within the team? And by that, we're pulling people out of their comfort zone or even more, even worse, out of their zone of genius. And it becomes a lose-lose situation because they can't lead the other people. Uh, sometimes they're interested and can be trained. Sometimes it's not just they're in, within their interest at all. The team is being affected in a negative way and the organization loses as well. So think about it. How can you redefine the career path in your organizations? So there's not only this climb the ladder path that is there for people who want to grow and continue doing so within your organization. We're also discussing the engagement. I really like how Mike is answering a question of one of the participants in the, in the stream who asked about the lack of engagement within the companies. and. Mike is saying that lack of engagement does not exist. 
whatever is happening with your organization, within it, with your employees, is all engagement. There are just different kinds of engagement. And I found it very interesting how he describes those kinds of engagement. And he is referring to a blog post that we'll put out in the show notes as well so that you can read more about them. We're talking as well about how communication leadership consultants or experts within the organization can help you as a leader to actually build the communication strategy and to be effective and efficient with it. Mike is talking about the value of words. That's the name of his company, Changing the Terms. It's about when you change the terms, you actually change the game and how it's important to use the right words in the right contexts. And especially the challenge of that in our global world, where a lot of us who are speaking English are not native speakers and we might use the words in wrong ways and how important it is to actually keep practicing your English, keep practicing your language skills so that you can express yourself in a positive or in an efficient way, an effective way, so that there is no misunderstanding and miscommunication happening when you as a leader are trying to bring the message across. He's also talking about that communication actually is divided in several stages and all of them are just as important. It's about preparation, the communication itself, and the cleanup, which is quite often omitted or which has to be done quite heavily if the preparations are not done in a proper way. We're discussing the hiring, the communication leadership person within for your team. When does it make sense for your organization? What should you look at? What kind of characteristics of your organization should define when it's time for you to do so and how that person can help. And we're also touching upon the communication tools within the organization. Mike is talking about that free doesn't mean without a cost. And when you try to save on the communication tools and you choose something that does not fit your employees, your organization, your context, that bad quality of internal communication platforms becomes a question of hygiene and it can affect your employees and your image as the employer who doesn't care. So some challenging thoughts there we are throwing out to for you to reflect on. So hopefully you'll get some good pieces of advice from Mike. He, he's given very good practical pieces of advice in the conversation, but you also get some high level thinking from the conversation and take it to your leadership team and start discussing those around the table. Enjoy the conversation. And as always, let us know what you think. See you on the other side. Hi, everyone. We are live on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. And today I have a very fascinating guest for me, Mike Klein. And fascinating because I'm going to learn a lot from him. I know it. Usually I invite people who are experts in the areas that I know at least something about. But Mike is specializing in the area that is very new to me. I've never worked with it myself in my corporate career and haven't reached it the, that with my own company yet. So. This will be a very egoistic conversation, let's say that way, but I'm sure that you'll get a lot of value from it as well, dear listeners or viewers. So Mike, today we're going to talk about communication leadership. And before we dive into that topic, I would like to ask you, when you hear the words sustainable business performance, what comes to your mind? Well, I think sustainable business performance starts with an awareness 
of what's of what's going on both inside and outside of your organization. Not just, you know, what are your capabilities, what are your intentions, what are your products, what are your services, but also what's going on in the competitive and political and environmental context in which it operates. Because, for example, we see a lot of conversation in larger companies about whether and how they're going to go hybrid in terms Mm -hmm. of having employees working from remote locations simultaneously or in certain ways from working in the office and how they're all going to make that work. And the thing that I'm seeing that strikes me as most unsustainable is that very few companies are talking about what they're going to do when they encounter competitors who have different workplace strategies than they have. So it's everything's nice when you've got your workplace optimized for the convenience of your employees, some of whom don't want to come into the office because they've got domestic responsibilities, some of whom do want to come into the office because their homes aren't particularly well suited for working and trying to balance all this stuff. You know, that's that's hard enough. But then when you come into contact with a remote first competitor who's got a lot lower overheads and doesn't need nearly as much flexibility, what's that going to do with you to your business? How sustainable is your business going to be when it encounters a competitor who's optimized in a much more efficient and effective way than you are? Geez, this is such a good answer, Mike, because we actually don't cover that much. Really looking in the outside world, we but often focus in the conversations here on the inside, on the vision and mission of the company, how you learn about your employees' needs and their personalities and help them deliver. And also we talk a bit about the customer, but you have taken the broader perspective of that as in the whole world uh, of business and in general. So that's that's a very good perspective and lift our eyes for that. Thanks for that. My pleasure. I mean, I think the key thing is it is important to nurture yourself and nurture your team and nurture um, the industry in which you operate. But at the same time, you know, no nurturing parent just simply lets their children play in traffic. And that's what we're doing if we completely focus on our own interests and our own perspectives and what makes us tick morally, spiritually and commercially and not really engage with what's going on in the broader world and how the people in the broader world talk about us, act against or for our interests, and demand the products and services that they're going to demand over the months and years to come. And all of those things are changing right now. I wrote an article a few months back about 2023, because one of the things that I noticed was that organizations were much more focused on getting to the end of 2021 and getting to 20 through 2022, which is still going to be a very transitional time in most industries. You know, organizations are going to be getting back on their feet. Customers are going to be a still a bit wary about where they where and how they're going to spend their money. And the competitive landscape still won't really have crystallized in most industries and sectors. But by 2023, that light in the end of the tunnel that we're looking at might actually be an oncoming train. Such a great analogy. And this is what you help your clients with, right, Mike? You help to both keep the eyes on the the now, but also look up and, and think, okay, what are the trends? And what do we need to start shifting right now so that we're actually not hitting the train head to head, 
but rather get on the parallel track so that we avoid the collision and continue going ahead in the tunnel. Or actually start going in the opposite direction and link up with that train <laughs> and, and take advantage of its momentum. Mm, yeah, yeah. You know, even yeah. if it's going in the opposite direction of where you think you're going, if it's got momentum and it's got, you know, demand and, you know, an interest, maybe that's where you end up going and you just get really prepared for it and get your organization really aware of it. I mean, this is one of the reasons why communication as a discipline is something that requires conscious thought and action, whether you're a startup, whether you're a scale up or whether you're a big time organization. Organizations need to treat communication, A, as the way of interacting with their context, but B, increasingly, as the platform upon which their business is done. Organizations historically have focused on engineering, finance, accountancy. You know, you look at you look at the profile of CEOs, most of them are white males, and most of them are white male accountants or engineers, or people with very similar backgrounds to that. And what we're starting to realize, and one of the things that's really, really starting to make my field much more interesting and engaging to people with, you know, higher ranks on the food chain, so to speak, is that, you know, when you move to a more remote organization, particularly how you communicate, what you communicate and the platforms upon which you communicate effectively become your business. It's not just simply producing widgets. And most organizations don't really produce a lot of their own widgets anymore. They outsource the production to China. So your business is actually the way in which you you assess the market, engage with customers, engage with stakeholders, and mobilize the people in your organization to act in a concerted way. That's all Mm -hmm. communication. It's all about the experience nowadays, right? So even the heavy product companies have to go to the experience and that engages everyone. Well, the thing about the experience is like the experience is is an outcome of the process. And there's a lot of focus on this outcome and that's great. You know, the the employee experience and the customer experience businesses or industries are adding a lot of value to the larger commercial world. But they're not necessarily, you know, it's kind of like, when you're trying to tweak your employee experience, it's almost like you've got the tail wagging the dog. It's the mm. dog that produces the experience. The experience is what is produced by the dog. And so you've mm. got to make sure that your dog is, you know, for lack of a better term, is healthy, is, you know, running on the right fuel, you know, that, you know, they're in the right mood. It's got the right environment. It's got, you know, all of, you know, it's the focus on, the organization and the organization's awareness of the world in which it operates is at least as important as tweaking nature, you know, elements of the of, of the experience. You know, I'm not saying the companies that focus first on the experience are wrong, but they miss they may miss out on a lot of stuff that's fundamental. And they may miss out on, you know, some strategic and infrastructural thinking that may be necessary to deliver the experience that they're actually aiming to deliver. Mm-hmm. So they're focusing on the symptom instead of the root cause of the issue sometimes. Exactly. And you need to focus on both. And it's just a question of which one takes precedence. For sure. So let's just clear up the sub- some terms here. When you talk about communication, what is that in the organizational perspective or context? Well, it's it's multi-layered. I mean, it's it's the language you use. It's the priorities that you have. It's the urgency with which you convey those priorities. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you need you need words and channels to do this with. Mm-hmm. So my urgency does not become understandable until I verbalize it in a way that people get it, or you know, or add words and pictures to it. So say mm-hmm. say for instance, my urgency is to have a highly successful conversation with you. I can't do that without saying anything. So a lot of people think money is the currency of organizations, and it is. But communication and language and words and channels and pictures and images and images and stories and the verbalization of intent so that people get it, that's actually what really drives your organization. You know, and the extent to which people in an organization see a gap between what you say and what you do, and the extent to which they're pressurized to either close that gap or create the impression that the gap doesn't exist. So good. And we talked about the communication leadership, right? So where does leadership come in here and how you as a communication expert help your clients with that? Well, it's an interesting question when you talk about communication leadership and leadership communication, because they're not opposite concepts. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting to see how both are developing. So there's an immense amount of energy and work that's been put into something called leadership communication, which is basically helping people with with significant titles and significant positions in organizations and society to effectively project and listen and engage with the people for with whom their success depends. So that could be anything from a CEO with their team to a marketing director with the marketing function, to a CFO with the financial institutions and the financial stakeholders that they have, to an employee with the customers and um, internal suppliers with the, which they have. I mean, it's all about helping individuals communicate more effectively on an individual basis and on a more scaled basis. That is very different from communication leadership. Mm-hmm. which is really about the role of professional communicators in organizations. Um, and we'll talk about whether your organization needs a professional communicator in a second, but it's really about the role of the communications people themselves because there's a culture in the communications profession, which has made us, in my view, too deferential to people mm-hmm. in senior leadership positions and too cautious and too and really more too subservient and task-oriented. And so the distinction of communication leadership really comes down to the extent to which a communication professional working in an organization, a community, or in a society is actually an individual who is an agent of change, an agent of contribution, who actually forwards the outcome that they're trying to pursue. Mm -hmm. So it's a shift in mindset from being a servant. I'm not talking about servant leadership, but being a servant, being subservient to being an actor and a peer and somebody who has their hand on the wheel of whatever it is, whatever outcome that's being pursued. So it's a change in attitude, change in orientation, and a new way for us to optimize the way we perform. I'd like to dive deeper into that because what you described to me sounds like a very internal role. And you sometimes come in as a consultant, so I would like to discuss that. But first, I want to address the comment that we have here from Lorenzo, who is tuning in from 
LinkedIn. He says, I would think that vision is necessary to establishing the hiring and selection process of talent so that the tweaking is more about efficiency and experience and less about alignment, alignment to values. I would tend to agree with you, Lorenzo. I mean, the, you know, vision is absolutely necessary. I mean, you don't want to hire somebody who has to engage their intellect to do something. You know, it's one thing to just have somebody who's just putting pieces together on an assembly line. But anybody who has to act as an agent, as somebody who contributes their own view to what's going on in, in the organization, what's going on with the relationships that they have on behalf of the organization, they need to have be aligned with whatever vision and whatever mission that organization's pursuing. And I think you're right. You know, you can have the best values in the world, but if you're inexperienced, particularly if you're in a remote situation, because onboarding people to remote positions is very difficult, people with experience can work more efficiently in the pursuit of that vision than people without experience, particularly if they're not being monitored, measured, and mentored on a consistent and constant basis. We'll get into to those question? new... Yeah, let us know, Lawrence, whether that answered or whether you would agree with the comment. And thanks a lot for the comment. I see the next comment here or question from Lorenza. Why do you think leadership communication is an opportunity? How do people achieve these roles without being able to effectively communicate? And do you believe it's a struggle to connect across the organization because of lack of engagement with all levels? I'll start with the middle question. How do people achieve senior roles? without being able to communicate effectively. Most people achieve senior roles by being really good at the jobs that they came in to work in the organization in. So that's why you see tons of engineers and tons of accountants in senior positions, particularly senior line positions in organizations. And the problem is that a lot of people who move up the ladder are really overpromoted experts. They are not people who are trained or oriented to lead people. They're not really trained or oriented to engage in a strategic way with people inside and outside the organizations, or they have a very linear view of what strategy is. I want to pause here for a moment. You said those over-promoted experts. Would you suggest, Mike, that we look for other people to promote within an organization or hire from outside? Or do you think we can work with these experts to actually train them to be more effective leaders at the next levels? It depends on how much risk and time that entails. I mean, if you're under a lot of pressure as an organization, you have to ask the question, is it easier to train somebody who's got great people, great management, and great leadership skills on the mechanics of your business and your industry than it is to take somebody who's really an expert on your business and your industry and make them effective at mobilizing and activating people. You know, it's a, there's not a one-stop answer to that question, but that's the question you've got to ask. Yeah. And again, here to you leaders, I would like to actually have another question for the checklist of yours when you take those decisions. Do you think that person will stay in their zone of genius? That's what we talk a lot about on this podcast, on the show. And quite often those 
both the best engineers, best salespeople, best accountants, as you said, Mike, they are good at what they do and they enjoy that. And then you pull them out of that operational side and you put them in a leadership position. Some of those people might have prerequisites and interest in doing so and will be willing to be trained and will improve at that. But some of them never want to go there. So think about that. What are the alternative career paths you can create for those people? How can it continuous continuously challenge them so that their work is stimulated, like stimulate, stimulating? <laughs> Stimulating. Stimulating. Thank you. Uh, I'm not stupid. I'm just not a native speaker. As, as no, of course. Of course. No, you're doing great. And it's interesting because one of my specialties has become doing native English communication in non-native speaking environments. And mm -hmm. somebody once said, you know, if you hear somebody with a halting accent, it means that they speak at least one more language than you do. Mm -hmm. um, of course, that's something that you would say to an American, but it, it conveys, you know, the idea that we need to have a lot more respect for the people, you know, for, for, for the way people struggle with language or struggle with communication more broadly, both in terms of giving them the skills, the experience, and the confidence to, to perform, but also mm -hmm. recognizing whether they want to acquire that rather than pushing it on them. And part of the problem of corporate life is that there's this expectation of having a linear, ever-improving career trajectory. You know, that your career needs to look like an escalator or there's something wrong with you. And so you get to be a really good engineer, a really good accountant, and somebody says it's time for management. And you dread the idea of managing people. You take the job because you take the raise, you take the status, and you take it because of the expectation upon you to do this and because there's no career path for you beyond your current status. You know, you don't take it because your ambition is to make 10 people in six locations care as much as you do about the quarterly financial results. You do it because it's the only option, the only easy option that's available to you at that point. And some people sink and some people swim. Yeah. And it's our responsibility as a, as a leadership team to, to think about that and be aware of the risks that we are imposing on our people, the best engineers, if we pull them out of that and they are not ready and they're not willing to do so. Do you no, want to uh, you, you, lose, you lose a good engineer and you lose the quality of your team in the process. Yeah. I mean, the risks yeah. are immense. Well, sure. Would you like to address the other two questions that Lorenzo asked here? Yes. Um, do you think leadership communication is an opportunity? Of course. I mean, because leaders at all levels are the communication, the most important communication channel of a business, not your marketing engine, not your advertising, particularly in a social and, and mobile world. Mm -hmm. People are more interested in what human voices have to say whether they're executives or whether they're employees. And often the employees, certainly if you look at the Edelman Trust Barometer, which is an annual survey that looks at the extent to which people trust various sources of information and inspiration in the world, employees, and ironically these days, employees and senior leaders are among the most trusted people out there. Mm. And so obviously you want to take advantage of this trust by encouraging and supporting and training and nurturing people in their communication roles. And that doesn't just include the C-suite. That really involves everybody who's got access to a social media account who happens to work in an organization because they all are individually and collectively the voice of that organization. 
Yeah, ambassadors. Um, yeah, but it's more than ambassadors. I mean, I make the distinction between an ambassador who is somebody who has a formal role as a representative mm-hmm. and an advocate who is somebody who has no formal role and continues to represent the organization or its agenda or the opposition of that agenda um, on their own will. And communication leadership, to get back to that, is ultimately about the role of an individual as an advocate and the extent mm-hmm. to which they align their advocacy with or against the organization and its aims. See, I love this conversation because you you are even geekier about the words that we use than me. So I've already learned or paid attention to my language thanks to your comments, uh, Mike. So thank you for that. You're welcome. But that, that's funny because my, my firm, Changing the Terms, is actually based on the idea that words are what drive and what create and what illustrate and what mobilize organizational performance. And if you change the terms, you change the, you know, if you change the words, you change the terms. If you change the terms, you change the rules. And if you change the rules, you change the game. I love it. It makes so much sense. And it's so great that you're actually offering that philosophy to your clients. So we have one more question here from Lorenzo, if you would like to address that. Sure. Do you believe it's a struggle to connect across the organization because of a lack of engagement of all levels? I don't believe in such a thing of a, as a lack of engagement. I think there are different kinds of engagement, some of which are oppositional to each other. And I actually wrote an article on this some years ago called The Six Forms of Engagement. And the engagement that people talk about when they talk about employee engagement in organizations is something that I call the engagement of the ring, the idea that the organization and the employee should effectively marry each other, the the wedding ring, if you will, and that it should be long-term, it should be mutually beneficial, mutually satisfying, and everybody lives happily ever after. But there's the opposite kind of engagement, which is what I call the engagement of the rifle. You engage a rifle by the time, you know, by putting a bullet in and making it making it shootable. That's every but as much engagement as wanting to stay in an organization forever, wanting to destroy the organization, wanting to save the organization. Both are forms of engagement. The issue mm-hmm. is how are you recognizing what kind of engagement there is out there, either within your workforce or within your communities. And addressing the engagement that exists, apathy is a form of engagement. Actively not caring about something is a form of engagement. Actively resisting something is a form of engagement. Being transactional about something versus being caring about it are two entirely different forms of engagement. And so it's not because of a lack of engagement at all levels. It's more of a lack of an understanding of what kind of engagement is going on and an inability to deal with each appropriately. Love it. I both love your questions, Lorenzo. Thanks so much for asking them. Fantastic questions. Thanks. And then there is another, and also Lorenzo replied that the first question was answered or addressed really well by you. And then there is another comment here from Martin. Uh, Verbalizing correctly a need might be a problem on its own, even before trying to prepare communication. So how do you see this ability in the future? Well, this, this is why organizations need to invest in competent, confident, professional communication resource if they're going to engage with the outside world. Because these, this is, you know, particularly in a world that's increasingly being run by mm-hmm. English as a second language speakers that 
having access to expertise and how to verbalize correctly, how to frame, how to create stories and, you know, using words that come to life is a commercial imperative. It's not a moral imperative. It's not a nice to have. It's a commercial imperative. Mm -hmm. And organizations that do it better than other organizations have a chance to succeed better. And so, and it's, you're, Martin, you're absolutely right. It's got a lot to do with the preparation as well as, you know, the cleanup. Because often organizations will say, no, nah, we don't need to spend money on this. Ah, we can do this ourselves. Everybody's a communicator. And then they communicate and they leave a mess. And then you bring in, you know, a, a high-priced PR firm to clean up the mess. It's a lot more expensive, A, not only because of the fees of the PR firm, but because of the cost of the mess. Mm. And so... The damage you know, has been you, done. Exactly. So you just as you need to make sure that you've got the right financial and human resources to do something, you've got to make sure that you've got the right communication firepower to support the kind of initiative that you've got going on, whether it's internal or external. I love it. Thank you so much, Martin, for the question. And I hope that it was addressed well. And it's my... good to see you, Martin. Thanks very much for coming, by the way. Hey, Genius Leader. I'm chiming in here quickly to ask you to do one thing for me. If you're enjoying this episode, share it with one person who you think would find it valuable as well. Let's spread the goodness together so that more people can play within their zone of genius. So uh, we talked a bit or you touched very shortly about the experts versus or like senior people, experienced people versus new people. And I would love to address it from two parts. Why is it important to to hire or to have people who are experienced when you talk about the communication leadership. And also for those who are just starting on that channel, what kind of opportunities they should look for and how can they build up that expertise? Well, let me, let me split your question up into a number of parts. One is the relative value of experience versus new hires, if you will. Second mm -hmm. is the extent to which experienced folks and new hires can generate appropriate degrees of communication leadership for their roles and for the, the trajectories of their future careers. I mean, they, you know, the, the workplace has had a reputation for being ageist for as long as I can remember. And one of the things that I found most jarring when I started working in large corporations in Europe was how little gray hair there was in the organization. That with the exception of, say, the CEO and maybe a third of their leadership team, everybody was mid-40s or below. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, you know, has some reasons in terms of, you know, salaries and costs. And it has some reasons in terms of, you know, the way people want to be represented by people, particularly if you've got people coming into an other corporate headquarters, for instance. But... You know, there's also this big loss of skills, attitudes, and, and experience that you get when you arbitrarily create a cutoff of, of 45 as your de facto retirement. Mm -hmm. um, and plus, you end up having all these experienced people running around. Now, you've got the world of remote work. The advantage of remote work for the experienced employee is that, A, If you're being brought in to do something that you've already done, you don't need to be onboarded about how to do your job. 
you need to be onboarded about how to use the technology that you're being given to do a job that you've, you've done previously with other technology. And you've got to be onboarded into the vision, the values, and most importantly, the priorities of the organization that you're working in. But it's like, if you're, say, for instance, a senior communications person, you know how to do the series of tasks that senior communications people do. Um, if you've got somebody who's just coming out of public relations school, they have to learn your company, they've got to learn business culture, and they've got to learn the mechanics of the job all at the same time from the comfort and isolation of their own homes. So, right. you know, it's a, you know, the, the remote, the, the idea that the Generation Z is going to be the remote generation, I think if anything, Generation X is going to be the remote generation. Because the added bonus is that companies that want to present a fresh and youthful image in their workplaces can have people working very happily behind the scenes who rarely set foot in these organizations' premises, who are doing a lot of the who are doing a lot of the work. And organizations in turn have the comfort of being able to hire these people as independent contractors or as as consultants without necessarily inheriting the pension and other baggage that cause organizations not to want to keep these people behind the, you know, beyond a certain day. So that's, so that's one thing. On, commu- on communications leadership, on the other hand, communications leadership is a game that everybody can play as a professional communicator, regardless of how senior they are, because mm-hmm. it's all about the extent to which you contribute beyond the transactional requirements of your job. And that's to your organization or to the larger community or to the larger profession. Another one. So I hope that you then gave hope to people here uh, about that. It's all, it's all part of the process, right? And you, you have your place there and you can always learn. Yeah. And and I'm not, I'm not disparaging younger workers. I just think younger workers in reality will benefit from being in in office workspaces, maybe being in in office workspaces for four days a week instead of five. And I think one of the, one of the longer term implications of the pandemic is that, you know, organizations that go to a truly back to office model are probably going to go to a four day a week model in order to stay competitive with remote organizations. Mm -hmm. Because people do have stuff that they need to do that's not aligned with being 10 hours a day in an office. But in return, back to office organizations will get the, the predictability of having people on site for four days a week and being able to optimize their proximity to each other in that point, in that, in that perspective. I mean, we, we still haven't seen the way all of this is going to flow, but the key thing is that, you know, if the workplace is really going to be something that nurtures generation Y and generation Z, millennials and generation Z folk, um, it's going to need to be culturally a very different place from what it is now. You know, it's got to be a lot more like, you know, a lot more like a university type environment than, you know, a, for lack of a better term, Viking slave ship type environment. Where people just say, Whoa, rough. You know, there's not going to be a lot of patience for that. Mm. But at the same time, the workplace can be a very effective facilitator of interactions between people. And younger employees are going to need to have had those interactions so that, you know, even if they want to work remotely, they can work remotely efficiently and effectively a bit a bit further down the road. I would like to go into the question of when is the time for an organization to start thinking about hiring someone for the communication leadership role? 
especially if we address the part, big part of my audience who are startups or early scale-ups? The, the test has historically been the Dunbar number of 150, because that's the number that science indicates. I wouldn't say it's proven, but indicates is possible for people to process all of you know uh, the, the various relationships that they have inside of that universe. Though I would argue the Dunbar number doesn't factor in proximity and location. Mm-hmm. And so if you've got an organization that's running remotely, or if you've got you know, a company of 150 that's got five or six offices, four or five of which are outside of the country of origin, then you really need to start thinking about having at least one full-time communications professional who is, and I say full-time or at least half-time, somebody who can get to immerse themselves in your organizational content and context and be able to speak credibly with your leadership team about what's going on in the business and how it needs to be framed you know, from a contextual perspective and from a work perspective and from a word perspective, mm-hmm. and then be able to turn that into specific things that actually happen. One thing that's a disturbing trend is that I'm seeing companies, small companies hiring very inexperienced communication professionals full-time and giving them a lot of very tactical stuff to do, you know, like InDesign and Photoshop and all of this stuff. They're expecting people to be completely self-sufficient in all of these skills and still be able to operate at a senior level and still be able to comprehend what's going on internally and externally in the space of the organization. I would strongly recommend to any organization that's thinking about going that road to to spend instead the same money on somebody part-time who's experienced and professional. And that because is to ensure the can, the strategic part of the role. I, I, a, to I ensure or? both the, the strategic and the business acumen piece. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody who's capable of understanding a how you know what's going on in the world strategically, and b how your business operates, how it turns the dollars that come in as investment into profits at the end of the process. And somebody who's 22, who's really good at InDesign, probably isn't capable of doing that to the extent that you require. And the, where that becomes an issue is that if that person falters in the conversation with your leadership, that person's going to end up being an order taker and somebody who's going to end up you know, just simply fulfilling the request rather than guiding the request. And the reality is that you know, most of these skills, Photoshop, InDesign, you know, a lot of these transactional software-based skills can be outsourced much more cheaply through platforms like Upwork and Fiverr by somebody who's got some experience outsourcing this stuff and keeping true to whatever the vision, the mission, and the priorities are of the organization. You know, why it's very good spend, that you're lifting that. Sorry, you yeah, I mean, why spend, you know, you're gonna spend 50 to 100 bucks an hour on a full-time communications person. You know, why spend 50 bucks an hour on that person when you could spend 100 bucks an hour for a third time and then pick up the InDesign for 10 bucks an hour? Makes sense. Let's hope that people follow your advice here, Mike. I agree. And, you know, obviously, if you're interested, I'll be more than happy to talk with you about this. Yeah, and we'll cover that in the end of the interview, how people can actually reach out. Sure, absolutely. And learn more. Uh, I would like to also come back a bit to 
what I commented that it sounds like the true communication leadership role requires the person who is internal. But we're also talking about hiring a part-time, maybe consultant who is more senior in there or more experienced. So how should a leader think about that, whether we should hire someone to be on board with us and how can we make sure that the person really gets all the information, understanding of the company and how our business operates? You've got to look for tribal mindset. You know, if you're going to be looking for somebody, if you're looking for any part-time people who have substantive and substantial impact on what you do and how you present yourself as an organization, you've got to have somebody who's capable about thinking of themselves as a member of the team, even if they've got other things to do with other parts of their day. You know, the reality is that, you know, and this is this is kind of particular to people who support football, for instance. It's like, I'm an ex, so I'm a Tottenham supporter personally. And here in Iceland, most people are Liverpool supporters. <laughs> and they're capable of being fully passionate, knowledgeable Liverpool supporters while driving buses, leading companies, or teaching school. You know, it's not a full-time job to be a partisan and a passionate supporter of an organization. It's a full-time job to do whatever it is that you do to make up your day, to make the money, to, 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 to make the, the, the fixed contribution that you make as a professional. And those two things are entirely separate. So what I would say is, you know, A, if you're a small organization and you don't produce a lot of high-end comms output, don't hire a full-time per, full person and give them a lot of, you know, detailed or software-driven work to make up their schedule. Hire a part-time person and have that part-time person organize your outsourcing of the less value-added stuff. And just make sure that there's somebody who's going to care and who's going to want to kick the competition's axe to the maximum extent possible. I love the comment about the tribal, the term of tribal mindset. It really was well explained with you by you now with an analogy with a football. And I, I, yeah, I think that's that's the great way of looking for people when you're hiring, whether it's internally or having some consultants come on the team. Thanks for that. No problem. Do you think that we? Have missed anything so far that you would really like to emphasize or highlight in this context? Well, I think the most important thing that people need to remember, especially if they're working beyond you know a large garage with a bunch of desks, is that your your organization is really your your internal communication platform and the people who use it. And so you do not want to cheap out, just as you don't want to cheap out on the leadership of your communication activities. You also don't want to cheap out on a platform. You don't want to use tools that are not appropriate or that are difficult for the nature of your business for two reasons. One is because it creates a sense that you don't care. Mm -hmm. um, the amount of investment required in decent communication tools. I mean, I work with a company called Smart that produces one of the top internal communication platforms out there. And the big objection we often get is, well, we've got this. Why don't we just use this because it's free? Well, A, because it's not designed or configured to work effectively for your business or it can't be confined, can, configured you know, fully for the nature of your business. And so you've got your people doing workarounds and they're, they're, they're kind of adapting to it. 
But A, it says that you don't care. And B, people who move from organizations with better technology are going to find it really difficult to want to stay when they're finding it difficult to spend 25% more time on the same task that they Mm -hmm. did at the other organization. So Mm -hmm. this is not something where free is necessarily without its cost. And you really need to spend some time, you know, particularly if, you know, if you're wondering about the efficiency of your organization or people are complaining about your systems, you need to look at that and you need to factor in the cost of people being unhappy or having to do double work. That's so good that you emphasize that, Mike. And I, I want to follow up on that question. Uh, we I had a theme on the podcast about the hypergrowth. And there I was talking about that, that one of the pains when the company gets in the hypergrowth is scaling the technology. It's also scaling the culture. Uh, but if we talk about scaling the technology there, it's difficult to find the sweet spot when you invest in the tools that you will need to sustain this hypergrowth in a healthy way. But how do you invest in them on the right times so that you don't lose too much money before you get to that point? So do you have any recommendations how to look for those tools, when to do it, what kind of questions to ask? Well, there's two separate pieces here. One is scalability, particularly from a communication standpoint. And second is the optimal choice of technology. There's a great analogy that a former boss of mine, a guy by the name of Nick Jankel, who is now like a global inspirational speaker. And he said, you want to know how these guys take a karate chop, you know, take their hands and give a karate chop to a cinder block and manage to get through it? And he said, it's very simple. You've got to aim at least a meter away. (laughs) And I think that's a really good position at looking at your communication, looking at your scale, not just the technology, but also the scale with which you project yourself as a player. You know, the the tone of the language that you use, the quality of your graphics, the quality of your presentation, the quality of the words that you use, you know, the extent to which your English sounds native, even if it isn't. You know, these are all things that, you know, if you're a company of 100 and you want to be a company of 1,000 and you want to be market leader, you've got to start talking and acting like it and you got to have the infrastructure for it because it, it, A, it saves the, the, the growing pains because, it's, because that's where you get your scalability. It means, yes, you have to spend a bit more money at the beginning. And obviously, there's lots of other priorities that are competing for that money. And, and you, you've got to be willing to be clever about how you, you know, spend startup money to get and deliver scale-up results. And the key thing is that there are a lot of people out there who are capable of helping you drive this who aren't necessarily terribly expensive to work with. I mean, you look at, you know, you look at the relative cost of high-end communication talent to even mid-level engineering or accountancy talent, and you can get extremely good value for money in this space right now. It won't be the case forever because people are going to figure this out, like they figure <laughs> out every chance to get easy built-in advantage. But for the moment, particularly coming out of pandemic, there are a lot of good people out there who would love to work with you, who can make a bigger difference for you than, you know, some of the other professionals that you're looking at for a comparably more modest investment. Similarly with the technology, you don't necessarily have to buy the most expensive technology. 
you know, that you've got to optimize, you know, you, you may want to get good off the shelf technology and get some decent consultancy to go with it so that you can make the best use of it. A lot of organizations buy certain platforms and then they don't invest in the consulting talent to really optimize it. And then they wonder, wonder why do we buy all this platform when we're only using one functionality? And so, and I think with the comms technology piece, most comms technology platforms are going to be very similar in their internal comms technology platforms are going to be very similar in their functionality increasingly as we go on because internal communications people and and C-suite folks are, are largely wanting similar functionalities. And software providers are starting to provide these functionalities in order to close sales. But where the difference is, is really going to be in the service and in the consultancy. And so when you're looking at platforms, look who has you know, a strategic services proposition that's really going to help you grow through the use of that platform. So good. And talking of like you, I really like your pieces of advice for the tools. It's very practical, but also how you describe this blessing in disguise with the talent on the market right now. And yeah, that's the opening for an opportunity for a lot of companies right now to to hire the talent that they need at that affordable rate. And it's oh, definitely. Great, Mike. I would like to wrap up with three questions. One of them is, what would be your three pieces of advice for the leaders tuning in today? I think the most important piece of advice is that communication is not just simply a serious strategic function, but it is increasingly the most essential function of your business. And it's a function that too many people take for granted. The more organizations that are serious about it and producing results, the more imperative this is going to be. And my suggestion is this may be something you want to look at right now rather than having to deal with it from a competitive standpoint in two years' time. Two, the quality of your communication platforms, particularly your internal communications platforms, is an immense hygiene issue with your employees. You will keep employees, if they have a seamless experience, much more likely than if they have a more difficult experience, particularly one that is worse than the one that they had with their previous company, or one that's much worse than what they're used to in terms of their, their consumer applications. People got used to instantaneous food delivery, news delivery, communication with their peers, and they're not going to tolerate less than instantaneous business platforms for any foreseeable length of time. Third is that if you're a business that's functioning in English, you need to have native English communication support, period, if you want to be seen as a credible player in a more than national market. Just simply relying on the local standard of English in your country particularly if you're doing business in other countries, even if they're not native speaking English countries themselves, is a, you know, it's a, it's a risk and it's a very penny wise move. Thanks, Mike. And one practical piece of advice for our viewers and listeners that they can take and implement today. Yeah. Recognize what you can do without permission. Hmm. Think of something you can do without somebody giving you permission and then do it. Wow. You just do one of those things every day. Guaranteed it will transform your life and your environment. I love that one. I really love it. Lastly, Mike, 
If people want to get more of you, if they want to contact you and explore the opportunities to work with you, what's the best way to do so? Well, on LinkedIn, if you if you just do M-K-L-E-I-N-818, that's M-Klein-818, that will get you to my profile. Um, mm-hmm. LinkedIn is the platform upon which I'm more active than anywhere else. If you want to get out, get in touch with my firm, it's changingtheterms.com. And if you want to get into the business, uh, or if you want to really explore the role that leadership can play, communication can leadership, communication leadership can play in catalyzing and electrifying organizations and communities, come to the open conference I'm organizing on 23rd September. And that's the We Lead Comms Open Conference on Communication Leadership. Just plug in conference communication leadership, and you should find it on Google. It's on Eventbrite. You can also certainly find it through my through my LinkedIn presence. And um, I'll add the, the link to it as well in the comments. Uh, perfect. So that it's easy for people to find it when they choose. Yes. Great. Thank you so much, Mike. It was a pure pleasure. I learned a lot and I have a lot to think about for myself, my business, and also my clients to, to take Wonderful. them further on their journey. So I appreciate that. Thank you very much. I appreciate the chance to speak today. And thank you so much to everyone who's tuned in. Lorenzo, Martin, thank you so much for your questions and observations. It was really a real pleasure to to address them. And uh, see you on the next episode of Genius Leadership Podcast. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Genius Leadership. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button to not miss an episode. And to help more people become even better leaders, rate and review our podcast and share it with your communities. For more conversations about living and leading from your zone of genius, connect with me on LinkedIn. Genius Leadership is an honest conversation about leading yourself and others. And it's my honor to be your guide in overcoming everything 